Welcome to the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that's raising the bar on craft cocktails. I am Louise Salas, your host and barstool buddy. Um, and with me today is my little chili pepper, the very talented mixtress DC Gina. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like that a little bit spicy. A little spicy. Oh, it's leading into like yeah. my favorite thing. Yep, here okay. we go. So uh, I got a little, little quiz for you, Gina. Um, so when I would, if I say the Cleavers, Brady's, Montagues, Capulets, Adams, Jacksons, Jetsons, Kardashians, Lannisters, Hatfields, Coys, Starks, Waynes, and maybe even the Baldwins, what comes to mind? Rivalry. How about just famous families? And rivalry. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's always rivalry in every family. I mean, Barry, well, you said Avniel boys. You have a couple in there, Kardashians. They hate a lot of people. I mean, that's a lot, right? You threw me off. I was going to say famous, and I said, what? Well, some are infamous, some are famous. So, well, today's designated drinker, maybe a little more famous than infamous. But um, also, he comes from a remarkable family with an amazing history. Um, and uh, Gina, I know you can't wait to get to know him. I know you're, like, jumping out of your skin for this one. Um, um, so uh, why don't we just go ahead and introduce today's guests so we get you all giddy. Um, and it's the CEO and president of Tabasco, Tony Simons. Hello. Hi. How you doing, Gina? How you doing, please? Welcome to the show. Welcome Thanks. to the show, Tony. Um, I know, I am sure everyone knows the Tabasco brand. It's one of those things that just everyone knows. Um, but what they may not know, that... It has always been and still is a family-run business. And that um, that is just such an amazing and interesting story. Um, and I'd love for you to share that with us, please. Well, thank you. Um, actually, my family got to Avery Island in 1818. Wow. So this year, 2018, we are celebrating two special things. We're celebrating my family's 200th uh, family reunion at Avery Island, and um, I have 466 living cousins, of which about 350 of them showed up at Easter for our 200th family reunion. Wow. The family's been there since 1818, and Edmund McElhaney, who was my great-great-grandfather, married Mary Eliza Avery, whose family was at Avery Island, and Edmund invented Tabasco. Uh, he was actually a banker from New Orleans. Um, he married Mary Eliza. They were actually t almost 20 years different in age. He had been a bachelor his whole life. Uh, he actually was very good friends with Daniel Avery. And on Mary Eliza's 20th birthday, he announced to his good friend, uh, Daniel Avery, that he was actually secretly in love with his 20-year-old daughter. So there's that scandal. <laughs> really didn't go over very well. Family but, scandal. But Mary Eliza convinced her father to let the wedding go, uh, go ahead. And so they married in 1859. The American Civil War broke out shortly thereafter. Um, Edmund was a banker, a successful banker from New Orleans, but he lost everything in the war. He was destitute. So at the end of the Civil War, he was forced to live at Avery Island in his father-in-law's home because he couldn't support his wife and children. Yeah. And might be a little uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, at least they were, you know, they had shelter and food. Um, Edmund's diary tells us when he got back to Avery Island at the end of the Civil War, he found one of his Tabasco pepper plants growing at the side of the chicken coop. So every plant we plant today 
comes from that one Tabasco plant. Edmund had it decided. That's really keeping it in the family. (laughs) Edmund made Tabasco for himself because he didn't like the way food tasted and he made it to enliven the flavor of food. Um, But after the war, he was traveling back and forth to New Orleans to try to find work. And the family encouraged him to bottle and take to New Orleans his product and sell it. So he did. And he sold it to restaurants and he sold it to grocers. And by 1868, he decided it was enough of a commercial success to create a company. So he started McElhinney Company in 1868, 150 years ago this year. And uh, we are still a family-owned and family-operated business. And every bottle of Tabasco in the world is made right there at Avery Island, Louisiana. Chris, and you are fifth generation, correct? I am fifth generation, and we actually have two members of the sixth generation already in the business with us. Wow. That's crazy. That is incredible, right? Yeah. There's so few, correct? I mean, uh, Um, when it comes to family-owned businesses. Absolutely. Especially at your level. Absolutely. um, Only about 12% of family businesses make it to the third generation. Wow. Only between two and four percent of family businesses make it to the fourth generation. Is that just because everyone starts killing themselves, each other? I could imagine my family like, well, that's the Bush family. (laughs) This is a dark, dark dark secret. Actually, there's all kinds of reasons. Um, Sometimes certain people are in the business and other people are not in the business, but they have a very large asset, but the asset's not. Uh, creating, you know, wealth in their lifetime and they want liquidity. And sometimes a family can't handle liquidity and is forced to sell the business if some of the members don't want to hold on to it. Yeah. There's all kinds of reasons. That's family true. feuds, everything. Rivalry, as yeah. you mentioned earlier. So <laughs> that kind of that probably would be my family for sure. <laughs> there's lots and lots of reasons why family businesses don't stay family businesses, estate taxes you know, a huge thing to family businesses because every generation under the old estate tax rules, before the estate tax rules were changed, essentially a family was paying 55% of the value of a company to the federal government and the state government to hold on to their family business every generation. So huge, you know, impact on a business and on the cash flows. Oh, I'm sure. So there's lots and lots of reasons why family businesses don't make it. But it is a fairly small subset of family businesses that can actually get to the fifth and the sixth generation. Mm-hmm. So you, you you left the family business for that, right? Am I correct in that? Uh, yes, you are. I actually, I, uh, I spent 25 years in the heavy equipment world uh, working either for or with a company called Manitowoc out of Manitowoc, Wisconsin. Uh, and Manitowoc is probably the premier construction crane builder in the world. Oh. So for 25 years, I was in that business. The last 10 of them, I was their distributor for the southeastern United States and living in Charlotte. Uh, but in the late 90s, um, my family put me on the board of directors of McElhinney Company. And then in 1999, I sold that business. And when I sold that business, um, my cousin Paul McElhinney had taken over uh, as president of the company. And he was the only family member left in the business. And so Paul called me and he said, Tony, did you sell your company? And I said, yes. And he said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I don't know. I'm going to be a consultant. (laughs) And he said, well, 
if you want to work, why don't you come back to work for your family? So at the start of 2000, after being gone for 25 years, I came back to work for my family. And I was fortunate to be Paul's understudy for 12 years uh, before becoming president of the company. Uh, I became president in January of 2012. Uh, and then Paul died unexpectedly uh, in February of 2013. So I became the CEO as well. Wow. That's that's quite the journey. We did to... How, was it a big adjustment to go back into it? I mean, considering you weren't or, or, or go into it? Was it um, a natural fit? Well, I grew up in New Orleans all winter and all summer at Avery Island. So for every summer of my life as a young person until I was 18 years old, um, I spent my summers at Avery Island. As soon as school let out in New Orleans, we moved to Avery Island for the entire summer. So Avery Island was as much a home to me uh, as as New Orleans was, but um, I, I had never been into the business, although for several years before I came to work for the company, I was on the board of directors, so I didn't know what was going on with our family. Yeah, I'm sure. It, I think the other really interesting part about Tabasco is that it's this, um, this brand with a long, long, deep and interesting history, but you have an amazing ability to stay relevant and in, like, like not just you're not following you actually lead in in your industry and to stay like it, it very few businesses can successfully do that keeping one foot in that history and that their eyes are always on the future and that's really amazing well, when people ask me what keeps me up at night i tell them how do i make how do i make tabasco relevant to an 18 year old yeah. is what keeps me up at night because yeah. we have to keep reinventing our users and and make sure that we are relevant uh, to every new generation that comes along and why they should use our product. You know, um, you know, especially one of the things that's so wonderful for us is that young people are so interested in food. They're not only interested in food, they're interested in how their food is made, the company that makes their food, and what's in their food. Yes. So, you know, regular red Tabasco is Tabasco peppers, vinegar, and a little bit of salt. Wow. It's never cooked. We just blend the mash with the vinegar. We stir it and blend it for 28 days. And then we strain most of the solids off. And that's all there is in that bottle. It's as clean a label as you could possibly find. And it's the same as it's been for 150 years. So, um, you know, we like to say that there's only one person who has the authority to change that recipe, and he's not with us any longer. <laughs> Why would you? I mean, what you did is incredible. What he did is incredible. We just continue to do it. I mean, I, I can't remember a time where that wasn't like on a table or you went somewhere and you couldn't get it or bars or whatever. Like every bar I ever worked and you have it. Even in uh, some bars, uh, let's, let's talk about it. So in cocktails, Bloody Mary, right? Everybody knows that. Snappers, Bloody Mary's. You know, people use it that way. There's also like a whole other side of whiskey cocktails that actually incorporate uh, Tabasco in it. You know, you have the Red Eye, which is like the dare. Um, you know, you have a firehouse cocktail, which is whiskey, Tabasco, a little bit of lemon juice served up like a Manhattan style. These are cocktails that are found like everywhere. But these are things I learned when I first started bartending before, you know, the whole cocktail renaissance and stuff and Tabasco was always a part of that there are very few things I can remember you know in bartending school like, other than 
obviously there was bourbon and gin and all that kind of stuff, but there was Tabasco and there was um, Angostura bitters. These were things we found. And this is what you made your cocktails with. And if people wanted a Bloody Mary, when I first started, it was so funny. I, I had no clue. <laughs> They're like, it's uh, Worcestershire, Tabasco, and tomato Gina, and that's it, right? Well, it's not, but so, but like when I first started in a bar in Long Island, you know, okay, I'll go with it. But it's, but no substitute. No one ever says it's this hot sauce. Now, you know, variations of people making their own and stuff. You know, people come up with that, but like, honestly, there's no substitute. And I use it in my Bloody Mary mix. And I mean, I'm having, you know, quite, quite a good luck run with that. I'm so. going to tell her Bloody Mary mix is spectacular i'm obviously biased but it's amazing but tony's gonna come to dc so we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna repick up this podcast in dc <laughs> and be like here we go here we go well you know one of the things that that i tell people um is they say tony you know sometimes i go to a restaurant and they don't have tabasco and i say if the if the restaurant has a bar ask your waiter to go check it to bar because that bartender's probably got about a bottle of Tabasco. Now, they're probably going to want it right back, but I, most of the times, if they have a bar, even if they don't serve Tabasco as a condiment in the restaurants and don't use pepper sauce, if you go ask the bartender, he's probably got a bottle of Tabasco you can use to flavor your food. Quickest way and quickest way to change everything in a cocktail. Like, if, like say, a customer comes in and wants it spicy, you know, and they, they're like, you know, even margaritas, you know, like margaritas with Tabasco was actually really good, especially if you use like, passion fruit or mango or something like that um i mean i don't know what do you think what I so uh, tell us a little bit about um what's going on what do you guys plan and you said 150 years 100 yes 150 years this year uh, we've been doing uh, a number of things uh, we've been doing some global kitchen events uh, because our tagline is flavor your world no matter what kind of food or drink you have we can make it better we can make food taste better. We can, uh, we can make cocktails or anything taste better. And it's what we do is flavor. So uh, our theme has been to do these, these global kitchen events around the world. At the same time, our standard product, our regular red Tabasco, is uh, made with peppers that we grow all over Central and South America. And then we grind them up. And, and we bring them back to Avery Island and we put them in oak barrels and we age it for three years. Wait, guys, I have a question. Is it oak barrels that you use over and over again or they have to be new oak or something like that? We actually purchase used bourbon barrel. Okay. And we use them for as long as my cooperage team can recuper the barrels and make them usable. Now, we have to do some things. First, you know, bourbon gets its color from the char inside the barrel. So the first thing we do is actually dechar the barrel. We don't want the, 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 the char. So we put it back to a white oak, and they're all white oak barrels. And as you know, the bourbon people only use a barrel once. Yep. So after they use a, after, as soon as they open it and drain it, they sell the barrels. And we buy white oak barrels from the bourbon people. But then um, as Tabasco ages and ferments and works over three years, um, it's... The, the, the juices and the acid that come out are strong enough to where it'll eat a mild steel hoop, which is what those barrels are hooped in. So we have to replace the mild steel hoops on the bourbon barrels with a 316 grade stainless steel hoops. 
That's some serious so, business. It's some Nasty. serious business. <laughs> so we so we have to recoup the, the barrels and uh, we have to decharm. And then the bourbon people work a barrel through the bunghole. We can't work a barrel through the bunghole. What we have to do is actually take the top off, take one top off, and we work the barrels that way by loosening the hoop, uh, you know, the stainless steel hoops enough to be able to work the, the, the top. So um, we'll reuse barrels as long as we can reuse them. But then when we can't use a barrel anymore, we either saw them in half and sell them at our country store on Avery Island as decorative planters. Oh, and a lot cool. of people buy them to use as planters outside their home. Or we knock all the stainless steel hoops off and save those to reuse them. And then we take the, the wooden staves and we send them to a man and he makes a Tabasco charcoal for us and we sell that in the country store. Oh, that's how that's interesting. <laughs> we don't like to throw things away. That's awesome. You know. We don't like a, we don't like any waste room. I wish there was more companies like that that's so socially like responsible and like honestly that like speaks like volumes to you know now more. Why I love you guys. <laughs> I mean I hate when people like you know you have all these people are like oh yeah we only use it once and we throw it out or now the new rage is to put like your drinks in a cut in a plastic pouch and then they just throw it in the trap. I'm like yeah. hello. It's going to be here for the rest of your life. So your question was, what are we doing for 150th anniversary? And this is a long answer to a short question. (laughs) But the second thing that we've done for 150th anniversary, and that was why I had to explain, we age our pepper for up to three years in oak barrels. And then we mix it with uh, a vinegar that's made for us in a beechwood generated vinegar, which is a little different way of doing it. But that's the way we've always done it. And Fleischmann's does our vinegar for us that way. For 150th anniversary, we created a Tabasco product that is made only with pepper grown actually on Avery Island. And we'll put up, say, 22,000 barrels of pepper mash a year in oak barrels. Of that 22,000 barrels, somewhere between 100 to 300 of them will actually be pepper that was grown on Avery Island. So to make this product, we we aged some of that pepper three years, we aged some of that pepper eight years, and we aged some of that pepper 15 years. Like scotch. And then, yeah. and you know, like scotch, the longer we age it, the less pepper we have in the barrel. Just like the scotch talk about the whiskey, the angel share. The angel, yeah. Yeah. The angel share, well, we lose pepper the same way they lose whiskey. So Would that be more like a little devil share? Yeah, yeah who Jeez. gets that share? <laughs> devil? <laughs> Is that the deal? Those are just some angels. little demons out yeah. there. <laughs> angels yeah. like spice, too. <laughs> the naughty angels. <laughs> That's a whole other show, Tony. So, so anyway, we use only pepper grown on Avery Island. We use three-year, uh, three eight-year, and 15-year-old pepper. And then instead of our standard uh, beechwood-generated vinegar, we use a um, sparkling white wine vinegar, champagne-style vinegar. You know it's Tabasco, but it gives it some extra notes that are very different. And uh, this is for you. Oh, look at well, you, Gina. Gina, this is for you. But we also put it in a bottle that looks like a champagne bottle with a kind of, you know, decorative top in six hours. If, if you, It's yours. So you decide what you're going to do. You get to do the Vanna hold moment. On, hold on, hold on. Six hours. I'm listening. Keep going. No, let's do your, your Vanna moment. Six ounces. And um, 
six, I'm listening. Yeah, and and it's, uh, you know, we're only doing that for our 150th anniversary. That's the only time we're offering it. Actually, we're actually out of it right now. It is possible we may have some more before the end of the year, uh, but to this, this point, uh, there is none available from us. I mean, I wish I could savor this. That'd be even funnier, right? <laughs> and you'll know it's Tabasco, but it's got some nice flavor notes you just don't get in our regular product. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. So what do you think, Gina? This is amazing. I am super excited. So can I, so let me ask you, in the bitters world, we take it, we put it on our hands. That's exactly how I taste. Okay. So right on the back, right there. All right. I'm in. I'm going to do the same. Oh my God. It's delicious. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's that hot. extra flavor. And it's hot. It's a little hotter than our standard. That is definitely hot. But it's definitely got extra flavor notes that that that, that sparkling white wine vinegar and the extra aging on the uh, on the peppers give it. You know, you told me a little story earlier about these. I believe you said Hungarians. The the Polish. The Polish. Poland. Yeah. One of the big uses of Tabasco is to make a drink called a Mad Dog. And it's a very, very popular drink in Poland, and it's made with uh, raspberry syrup, vodka, and Tabasco. So that was a little um, dried raspberries. What you did, this, Gina? So the dehydrated raspberries. But I'm gonna tell you right now, the Polish are onto something because that is tasty. It goes together, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> I I was not ready for that. Actually, I wasn't ready for that at all. I am like. Overly inspired right now. I feel like that's shame. That fruit comes through really nice with the extra extra spice, doesn't it? It, it just kind of explodes in your mouth. You know what's nice? It's a top palate feel. Like it's like it's um, you know, normally hot like hits the sides and like in the back of your throat and like that's real hot. But like this, like that. Um, so the champagne vinegar. I'm guessing that's where it's from. Same way champagne hits the roof of your mouth. That yeast, that yeast, is, that yeast just does that to your palate. I'm salivating, but it's not from the heat. It's all on the roof. I mean, I don't know where you are. It's all on the roof of your palate. It's got good mouthfeel, doesn't it? It does. It does. It's actually, it's quite beautiful. All right, I, let, I, let, let's make a drink. All right. Are you in for okay. All right, we're going to make a cocktail. So we're going to start off with, um, we're going to break some eggs today. We're going to actually make a version of a Pisco Sour, but not quite a sour. So if you could have somehow... Um, a, a cable car, which is a rum, a rum sour, meat, uh, pisco sour. This is what the drink would be like. So we're going to take uh, the egg white and we're going to put it in the in top of the shaker. Right now, here's a little pro tip. If you do not know how to crack an egg into a cocktail, do not waste the alcohol. Absolutely not. You're going to put it on the top of your inside the shaker. So if you mess it up. And it's very possible I can mess it up, but we can break, right? Yeah, we'll that's what the there. world of edit is for. That's right. That's, right. that's why we have this. We're gonna we're gonna put that inside there. We're gonna leave it. Now we're gonna build the cocktail. So I have like I have Tabasco around me right now, so I'm like in love. So we're gonna use a little bit of pisco, and we actually picked like a overproof pisco, so that we can get a little bit of the heat, but it should balance out. So we're gonna do two ounces. This is the best part of the show, just so you know. That is, I don't know. It could be. It could be actually when we get to actually taste them. That might be the actual best part of the show. I think. Well, it's always. You now we're gonna take some lemon juice and we're gonna squeeze the half into the container into your shaker. So I better put about a half in each one. So half of a, a of a lemon. lemon. Yeah, these are small, so it's about an ounce. I'm not gonna squeeze all of this. Um, you, it's kind of a taste thing when it comes to pisco. 
Um, you have to use the fresh fruit. You can take the rind off. You can do all kinds of stuff to it. That doesn't matter to me. It's using the fresh that's like the most important. And then um, I have this really awesome product and it's called, um, it's a perfect puree. And we're gonna actually use cactus fruit. And I really, really love it. It's a beautiful color, but uh, we're gonna use this for our sugar. And then we're gonna use two tablespoons. Now, you can make cactus puree at home. You can go to your grocery store and you can buy this in a tube in the frozen aisle. Like, that was gonna be my next question. Yeah, this, is a, this is for the at home. Pro, I mean, if you have a restaurant, of course you can buy it by the quart. Um, it is not sweet. So when you're looking at this, don't be like, oh, she's putting a whole bunch of sugar in there. Not sweet at all. It's, uh, it's got a little bit of sour and tang to it. So we're gonna actually add a little bit of um, a, a lemon uh, simple syrup that we have. So it's just basically uh, one part lemon juice and then one part um, sugar and you cook it down and you just make a simple syrup. Really simple. That is really simple. It is really simple and it is what it is. Now we're going to add our ice. Just like watching a chef. And we're going to put the egg right on top. Now, two things. When you're using a cold, cold product like this, Normally you would dry shake these cocktails to get a big foam on it. But we have like an icy component to it with the puree. And now we're just gonna shake it. And you're gonna shake it enough that you're gonna see your tin will start to get cold and it's very smooth here. So you're gonna actually help me on this one. Alright. Oh good lord. Shake harder. Oh good lord. Oh look she's working. But I'm now. worried that I might get it on our desk. <laughs> this is very dangerous. <laughs> All right, give it to me. Okay. I mean, one of us is the professional, and the other. Yeah, do not attempt this at home. Yeah. All right. So your drink, you get this nice little cross on there. That's when you know you're going to get the head that you want. Now that can be taken all kinds of ways. I probably <laughs> shouldn't have said that. It's not that kind of show, Gina. It's not that not kind of show. show. Uh, we're gonna take these glasses. Sorry, I've created, I've created a little bit of a disaster here, but I completely love it. It's gonna be a delicious disaster. It is, it is gonna, hopefully, right? Otherwise, we messed up. We're gonna take this little guy. And look at that color. Really, look at the color on Wow. So we're gonna get ourselves a nice little... Everyone look at, everyone look at your shirts with the color it is now, because it won't look like that again. <laughs> Guess it depends on how many you drink, huh? Ah, how many you spill, you know, whatever. And we're trying to get this little Bordeaux glass, but it's a pretty wine color. So, Gina, when you choose to double strain something, yeah, what's the um, wh why? Because you want to clean this little pretty. You'll see, I'll show you in the top. There's a lot of like uh, there's lemon. There's all kinds of stuff, and it's sitting on the top, and you don't want to actually have that as your mouthfeel. It's just a little. So it kind of changes the feel of yeah. it. Yeah, so you're just gonna double strain. It's a longer drink to make, I understand, but you know, when what, what is it? Is it you? You know, it's worth a squeeze or whatever it is, a berry. <laughs> Some things are worth waiting for, huh? right? Like seven <laughs> years for Tabasco. I mean, that's what you want to do. Hold on. Sorry, this one. We're gonna use a knife on this one, I guess. Just changing it up. Yeah. You know, actually, Gina. From the time we plant seeds at Avery Island yeah. until the time we put it in the bottle and ship it, it's five years. Wow. So then this is right, so we can wait a whole 
calendar and we'll be okay, right? You wouldn't think a product that simple with just three ingredients in it would take us five years to make it. But it takes us a year to plant our seed, grow it out, harvest it, and then harvest the seeds to send to our growers. They then plant it, grow it out, harvest it, ship it back to us. That takes about another year. And then we put it in oak barrels and we age it for up to three years. So it's from seed to table, five years. Wow, that's amazing. Well, I love that. Okay. Moment of truth. Am I fired? Oh, look how beautiful. That's a new thing, huh? We know, this is how we know that the Cheers. It smells fantastic. And I know we just met. I never I never drink it. So if you guys, something happens, I say it wasn't my fault. <laughs> oh. Oh, my. Oh, that, oh, that is lovely, Gina. It tastes as beautiful as it looks. And, and the Tabasco just melds right into it to give it an extra layer of tobacco your throat. You, you get it to kick right there at the back. What do you think of that uh, fruit? Well, you know, I have to tell you, I didn't think I was going to be so inspired today, but now I'm just like over the top. I was over the moon where we were going to do Tabasco and I kind of had like, oh, let's do Bloody Mary. And then the fruit came into play and the Pisco. And I was like, oh, we'll do something a little different. And you don't want a full body drink because it's hot. You know what I mean? Like you don't want it to be thick. You want it to be like a little bit thinner. What I love about this is that you're right. That heat is there, but the it's sweet, but not. I mean, it it looks like it would be super sweet, and it's not at all. It's very lovely, and that it just balances that heat just right. There's just enough tart. Bravo, Gina. Bravo. Bravo. Beautiful. Uh, thank you. I'm very excited. Uh, I think um, I think you might have a little something extra for you. So, I know. Hold on. Anyway, did you see what I was doing when you guys were like chasing? I was like, oh, really? What? <laughs> Hold on. Can I be any closer? Like, clink, clink. No. So our friends over at George Dickel came to us and said, we'd like to try doing a George Dickel Tennessee whiskey finished in a Tabasco cask. We sent them some barrels that we had aged Tabasco peppers in, and they created a George Dickel Tabasco barrel finish uh, Tennessee whiskey. So I'm going to give that to you as well. We're going to taste it, yeah? You know, actually, it has a it's very like nice... Christmas in July for Gina. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is why I love New Orleans. Hello. One of many reasons. 15, 15 years coming down here. It's for the hospitality and the love, for sure. All right, let's do this. Let's taste it. All right. All right. Cheers. Oh, cheers. Cheers, of course. I think it'll surprise you. Oh. Because it's not so much you get heat as it mellows the whiskey. It's so round. Uh, doesn't it? Isn't it amazing how it takes that edge off of the whiskey? And you get a little bit of heat, but you get a nice mellow a nice mellow feel from that whiskey. You know what's in, you know what's insane? So when you normally smell whiskey, the first thing you get is like, you know, those vanilla notes and stuff, and you're like, it's a barrel. And then when you're smelling this, you're getting that. Um, so when you smell this bottle of, of, of Tabasco, you don't smell the peppers. You're smelling the vinegar in this, and you're like getting that same like whiff at the end of the vinegar. Just that little whiff of vinegar. So when the palate, like your palate, like is like like recognizes it, you know, like you're just kind of in it. Oh my gosh, this would be. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Gina's gonna fall down because I'm gonna be drinking. I'm gonna be drinking the rest of this today. 
Well, it's a limited time offer from George Dickel. We really don't know how long they'll decide to make it. That's totally up to them. But the nice thing about us working with George Dickel is for every barrel that we send them to age and, and to finish their product in, they send us back bourbon barrels. Nice. So I don't lose bourbon barrels in the process because I need my bourbon barrels. Oh, I'm we sure. use them for as long as we can possibly use them. I love this. Didn't Dickel just get a... Um they just change the silver. I feel like I don't know. I might think I'm confusing my two brands. I don't know. What do I think? All I know is this is really good and very tasty. Uh, Pretty good stuff. And, and it was unexpected. Like uh, every, the way you describe it, of course, you know, you're spot on. And I love tasting with her because. She's so much smarter than I am. <laughs> her palate's very sophisticated. Yes. Before we allow anybody to put our brand or our name on anything, we approve it, and we actually have. At Avery Island, um, we have a sensory panel, and that sensory panel trains constantly. They meet every week, and they have programs to become better sensory, uh, you know, experience, to, to learn more. And you can teach your palate, and you can learn to be a very good sensory person. And that organoleptic uh, sensory work is very important to us. I bet. And, and they evaluate any Anybody who comes to us and says, we want to make this or we want to, well, send us your samples of what it is you want to do with our products. And we'll tell you whether or not we believe it delivers on the brand promise. Because if it doesn't deliver on the brand promise that our customer will expect, we're not going to let you put our name. See, when he talks like this, Gina, this is when I fall deeper in love because he's speaking my language. Like, absolutely. You have to protect your brand. Your brand is truly yours. And when you allow someone to borrow your brand... You need to make sure you're loaning it to the right folks. That's exactly right. Yeah, because their brand is your brand. It is. Vice versa. How do I get on the team? Because <laughs> I want to be tasting products like all day where they're like, Gina, so we got all these products in with all different Tabasco things. What do you think? Oh, no problem. We'll just sit here and eat crackers and taste Tabasco. I'm totally in. <laughs> like, it would just be like the best day of my life. And then I would be like, thank you so much for letting this happen because one of my like favorite things in the whole world is like whipping into things that doesn't Sometimes, so, yeah, I mean, like, I love mixing it with dairy products just because it's super great. Like, I'm, of course, in the traditional, like, sour cream and, you know, putting um, Tabasco in it. But, like, if you take creme fraiche and Tabasco and you fold it into scrambled eggs and you make them, like, a very light French style, oh, my God. It's, like, it's like epically changing. You don't dump the Tabasco. You use Tabasco like you would use salt or pepper, right? You just put it in there. And it's just really, really beautiful. And you can crepe the eggs. Gina, I, I talk to people all the time who, when they find out what I do for a living, they'll look at me and they'll say, Tony, I know what y'all do. Never had your product. I don't, I don't like spice. I don't do heat. So I've never had your product. And I ask them all the same question. Do you go out to eat? And they always, oh, my wife and I go out to eat twice a week. And I said, you have no idea how much Tabasco you've consumed. <laughs> because in the United States, we actually sell more Tabasco at food service than we sell in the grocery store. And a huge amount of that Tabasco gets used in the kitchen by chefs. But when you cook Tabasco, the heat cooks out. What stays is flavor. And the chef isn't putting heat in the food, he's putting flavor in the food. But because the heat doesn't come through, people don't realize that the way that chef got that extra flavor in his food was by putting Tabasco in it in the kitchen. That's true. Dehydrating, too. Like, I know a lot of people use Tabasco, for, especially for their um, rubs. 
and doing like meat and stuff. And I've had some vegan um, mushroom uh, jerkies that are done with Tabasco. So I take it, they take the mushrooms, they soak them in there and then they dehydrate it. And they, they eat it like like uh, like a jerky. Yeah. With with mushroom. And it's actually really good. Yeah. But I mean, like, you're right. Nobody. <sighs> I don't know. It's, it's the whole thing that's sauce. going on now. I'm like, I don't know. Now I want to just play with all the products. I feel like you should make a Sazerac with that. <laughs> well. I mean, uh, uh, Tony, I, did you just see the sparkle in her eye when she said that? Because I did. She's like, ooh. <laughs> well, you know, you're in the right place to be making a Sazerac. I mean, I, mean, I think I need a flare. She threw the glass. I mean, you're in New Orleans. I don't even have a, um, a stirring glass. I think I need a stirring glass or something. But you're in New Orleans. I mean, if you're going to make a Sazerac, you're sure in the right place. I think I have, to, I have to definitely do that. I have to, like, find all the ingredients here. But I'm not in my home bar. We are in Uncle Joe's apartment. So. And if any of you missed uh, or don't know, Uncle Joe's apartment is in um, where you are in the heart of New Orleans at the Napoleon House. Um, again, they are hosting us. Well, they've always are such great hosts and let us um, put up our shop, belly up to their bar, and make it Gina's bar. I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention to you ladies that in addition to being McElhinney Company Tabasco's 150th birthday, this is New Orleans' 300th birthday. Oh. So they are celebrating their 300th birthday this year, uh, you know, uh, along with us celebrating 150. So we teamed up with New Orleans quite a bit on the celebrations. We actually, in January, we uh, produced uh, with the New Orleans Opera Company and the Louisiana Philharmonic Orchestra a, a rendition of the burlesque opera of Tabasco, which was performed I was like, There's such in a thing? 1894. And it's on the lines of a Gilbert and Sullivan type. Uh, uh, burlesque opera at that time was not a girly show type thing. Burlesque opera was sort of lowbrow uh, uh, operatic singing with uh, a musical comedy. Um, and it maybe poked fun a little bit at opera, but it was very popular. And we had nothing to do with it, absolutely nothing to do with it. Um, it was originally performed in Boston, but it was so popular that um, they actually, it ran on Broadway for a little while. And That's amazing. And it was all about a Middle Eastern bay who hated his food, but he got a new chef and the chef started putting Tabasco into food and... You know, they had big Tabasco bottles on the stage. We had absolutely nothing to do with it. But this, it, he wrote this play, which became very popular about, it was called a burlesque opera Tabasco. So then they decided they wanted to put it on the road and tour the United States and put it on. And when they decided to do that, they came to us and asked us if we would help sponsor the show because it was going to be, uh, you know, promoting Tabasco because it does. And we agreed to do that on one condition. And that condition was that the, at the end of the performance, before people left the theater, that they would station someone at the doors and that person would hand out samples so that people could actually try the product. And that's why we invented the eighth ounce mini in 1894 and we're still making this product, these eighth ounce minis, 120 years later. That's crazy. And we did about 30 million of these last year. So 
The, the burlesque opera Tabasco had not been performed since about 1895 until this January in New Orleans as part of our 150th anniversary and New Orleans' 300th anniversary. We put on uh, five performances of the burlesque opera Tabasco here at La Petite Theater in New Orleans. Oh my God, that's amazing! <laughs> Actually, I've got it on I've got it on DVD, and it will get you a copy of it. You can watch it. It's pretty funny. Oh, ain't that my new Tabasco Santa Claus? <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to do right now. First of all, I've helped myself to a little bit more. <laughs> I am fun. I'm like considering I don't know what I'm going to do next, and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to put this on everything at the restaurants, and now I want more. More of that, and then I didn't know that you did this. You know, I didn't know that's from when I first saw these. I thought that you had done them for like you know egg places where they would just give them out and stuff like that, like you know for the restaurants. And I saw the um, Tabasco little ketchup packets somewhere, and I see those. They were like in little condiment packets. Um, probably uh, we have a couple of customers who do them. Um, Panera Bread, I think, was doing them. Yeah. Um, I think Chick Fil A was doing. That's ours. where I saw it. Yeah. Chick Fil A. And I thought, like, I thought to myself, yeah. self. Did you do that? No, I said self. Somebody <laughs> should definitely add the other ingredients of a cocktail and put them in that same thing so you can just add it to, like, your tomato juice at home. Or on the airplane. Yeah. So, like, when you are on the corner. That terrible, <laughs> like, you know, Bloody Mary on the plane or whatever. Anywhere, really. You just, shoot, put it in. Well, actually, spice helps so much on an airplane because, you know, the altitude actually kind of deadens your taste buds to some extent. Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah. Yeah, the altitude itself. I mean, because they pressurize you to, I think, seven or 8,000 feet. Um, so you're a mile high, essentially. And I'm told that your taste buds are not quite as sensitive. And it's one of the reasons people maybe fuss about the food on airplanes. It's because um, it's not that the food really is, is necessarily not good or tasty. It's that your taste buds aren't as sharp as they are closer to sea level. Huh. And then, so why don't you have these on like little minis when you're eating on the plane? Well, we, we but Actually, I did have one in my first class coming back from Barcelona. You did? <laughs> yeah, some of the international, uh, some of the international routes, uh, they buy uh, minis from us and serve them. They do. Hi, JetBlue. Please pick these up. Thank you so much. I love flying you, but I would like to have this on there, too. That'd be great. So I think you just gave us yet another reason why we should drink on a plane. Oh. Well, you can put your Tabasco into Bloody Mary mix, and it'll make it taste better. I'm into that. Yep. I really am. All right, Gina. Mm -hmm. I know. I'm going to Avery Island. We'd love to have you come, David. Call whatever you want. I'm out of here. We'd love to have you come see us. You know, we got a great tour. Um, we get about 120,000 visitors a year oh that come to Avery Island. Well, you know, in addition to Tabasco, we also have a botanical garden on Avery Island. Yeah. And the bird sanctuary. Avery, the bird sanctuary. In 1895, my great-grandfather, E.A. McLenny, who ran the company from 1895 to 1949, as a very young man, went out into the marshes around Avery Island and captured seven snowy egrets because the snowy egret was being hunted to extinction for its feathers for ladies' hats. Because during the mating season, the, the plumes on a snowy egret are just gorgeous. They're beautiful things. And so the feathers were so valuable that the bird was being hunted to extinction. EA caught him, built an aviary for him, let them breed, let them hatch out, let them raise their young, and when they were ready to migrate, he let them go. And then 
he designated uh, what we call Bird City, and it's called Willow Pond, at Avery Island as one of the first bird sanctuaries in the United States where the birds could return and be safe and know they wouldn't be hunted because he wouldn't allow anybody to hunt them. And he protected the birds. And he was getting thousands and thousands of egrets coming back every year. And the Audubon Society credits uh, EA with helping save the snowy egret from extinction. That's amazing. See, yet another reason. Another reason to come to Avery Island. I'm coming. I've never been a bird watcher. But I feel like if I have this on one hand and this on the other, <laughs> give me some binoculars, I'm all set. We're going to be just There fine. you go. So um, before we go, I want to make sure that if you need any of the tips, how-tos, or the links to um, some of the Tabasco products we talked about today, um, please just head over to designateddrinker.show. That's designateddrinker.show. And uh, Gina will have everything up there for you. And we'll make sure all those links are active and you'll be able to find your way through. All right. I think Gina is ready to go to Avery Island with you. So I'm going to do... Rosie cheats and all. Exactly. All giddy. She's all yours. Um, I'm going to do what everyone hates that I have to do every time. And that is... It's last call. Tony, you don't have to go home. Might have to go back to an island. Tough life. We just have to get out of here. (laughs) It's always a last call. Always. Thank you. Cheers. 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 Cheers.